Hi folks, it's uh, Sunday morning, we're snowed in and we are going to talk about rest today. Me and Shannon, we all both have done some research and we think it's an important topic and we'll just see where God leads us. So, you're on Shannon. Alright, it's December 29th, 2019, just to put a date on this. Uh, we're going to talk about rest today. Uh, I looked at a Consumer Reports uh, article from 2016. It said that Americans right now, $52 billion will be spent by 2020 on sleep aids. Uh, we're just too busy. Long work days, long commutes back and forth, less time as a family. Uh, the time that we do have spent in front of electronics, those kind of things. Uh, in our current society, busyness is considered kind of a badge of honor. If you're not busy, then you're lazy. And that's not a biblical perspective at all. A biblical perspective is much different from that. Oh, I w let me read you a... This goes real good. This is from... His name is Peter. He doesn't list his last name, but it, he has a website called thesabbathlife.com. And he his, this is the quote. In our current times, where the idols include productivity, hustle, and efficiency, and where workaholics are made heroes, observing the Sabbath... Sabbath, even simply, can turn the world upside down. It's one more practice that reminds us that there's a center to the universe, and it's not us. Well, that's, that's interesting. Um, I think sometimes, unfortunately, in our, in, if we kind of go along with a work-based church, church, we have a tendency to consider the Sabbath as something we have to do, like a checklist, like one more thing we have to do during the week is is church and unfortunately i think that takes away the rest making it an obligation and we miss the point the whole point of god's intention on on requiring us to rest requiring us to take that time away if nothing else because god said so hurry hurry hurrying does no one any good and then look at this psalm 146:3 says don't put your life in the hands of experts who know nothing of life, of salvation life. I think that goes totally against God's, God tells us to rest in life, to rest in him in John 15 and to abide in him. And the world says, do this, 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 and you'll be successful. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, there are so many references. As I started looking at this, there are so many references to rest in the Bible in different ways. Uh, rest that we're talking about here is, I think, could be equated to peace. Rest and peace. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, come to, come to me all who, are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's flies contradictory to, again, our busy worlds here. Um, we have a tendency to think of rest and relaxation as something that is a task. You have to force yourself to go on vacation. And when you do, you set a big itinerary and you run here and you run there and you do all these things. You're forcing yourself to relax. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He doesn't say that we should not rest. He's saying that we should rest, but he doesn't say we shouldn't work. But he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he's talking about worry, stress, all those things that are weighing you down. And he doesn't say, 
do nothing. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So we learn how to work like he works. And we learn how to rest like he rests. To work like he works, to rest like he rests. And one of the biggest issues that causes all the busyness and all the craziness in this world is worry. Thinking about tomorrow. What's next? What's next? What's next? And if we look at the life of Jesus himself, we will see something completely different. I want to read a, a scripture, one of my Go favorites. Um, John six twenty seven. This is Jesus. It's in red in my Bible. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you, for on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. And then the next verse the, the disciples say, so what's the works of God? And then Jesus answers and says to them, and this is verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. When we look, we go back all the way into the Old Testament, and yes, that's where the Ten Commandments comes out about the Sabbath and making it holy and, and, and uh, recognizing the Sabbath day and, and the day of the week where you rest. Um, God even went so far as in the Levitical uh, doctrine, he talked about giving the land rest. But it goes even farther than that. And when we go into Je Jesus was asked by his disciples how to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. That in and of itself is a reference back again to the Exodus with manna, where God provided everything they needed and there was no reason to worry about tomorrow. God had to teach them that lesson by letting the manna rot because he said if you take more than what you need, it's going to spoil. But if you just take what you need, it'll be there again tomorrow. And that is an example of a dependency on God, but a peace with God. A peace saying that today was enough. Hmm. Today is enough. You've gotten what you need today. You know, okay, um... That this all ties in because it, then you go to Hebrews three and it's talking about how they got all bitter those Israelites in the desert you know they were never or the wilderness they were never able to go into the promised land because they refused to believe in God and in um, Hebrews three nineteen it says and so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief and the enter is enter into God's rest later earlier it says that yeah so, the, the land of Canaan was considered to be the land of rest the land of God's rest, coming from slavery through the wilderness to that, that place of peace. Um, so, Psalm 127.2 mm -hmm. says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I think if we choose to put rest into our lives, not just the Sabbath rest, but like kind of have a Sabbath kind of life, where we're leaning on Jesus and resting in him and working in him and our strength comes from him, it's a form of belief. Because when we, when we feel it's all dependent on us, it's like we're the center and not God is the center. I like this, okay, I have this, um, this is a Eugene H. Peterson quote from his um, message Bible, from the devotional message Bible. It says, we often labor under the illusion, the illusion that everything depends on us or on those around us, but it doesn't. Everything depends on God, and this is the great lesson that rest has to teach us. Isn't that good? Yeah, uh, Psalm 23 is one of those ones that we think of immediately when we think about rest, and it talks about the still, quiet waters, things like that. 
But in Hebrew, the word for rest is actually a noun. They're considered waters of rest. Just like we said, Canaan was supposed to be the rest for Israel, but uh, rest is, is, as a noun, changes things a little bit. God himself is the place of rest. God himself is the place of peace. God himself provides these things. It's not something we can do, we can force, we can, we can make, but we can seek the rest of God. Mm. Now, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things I really like uh, personally, where I find a lot of peace, and my wife will attest to this, when I get the opportunity to ride my horse and just get away from everything and just get absolutely into the silence of nature, no, nothing else drawing on me, I, I find a lot of peace in that. And I, I find that interesting because in Isaiah fourteen seven it says, All the lands are at rest and at peace. They break into singing. There is something special about separating ourselves from anything that is white noise around us. Mm. Whether it's the people in our lives, um, the, the work, the electronics, the news of the day, whatever it is, to separate yourself from that is important. If we are not able to separate ourselves from that, we cannot listen for that still small voice. And... When we think about that, we need to take our lives and inject little pockets of rest. Rest, we think of rest physically as being a chance to rejuvenate. You rest, you sleep, you get up, you, you charge ahead again. And that, while that is true, that's, that's how our body works, there's more to it than that. This, this biblical rest is more than just physical rest. If that's all it was, Jesus wouldn't say, wouldn't say, take upon you my yoke. He doesn't say he doesn't say that in saying that, you know, sleep for tonight and work tomorrow again. There's more to it than that. The rest is much deeper than physical rest. It is a spiritual rest. It is a rest of the soul. And it's a rest that is so so profound that it's difficult for people to find it. You know, I think it's um when I feel that rest, I feel it a lot, but I when I have really good conversation with someone I can really open up with or have that really good communication with God or if you and I have a really good conversation, that's rejuvenating. And that's one of my favorite things. I, can I read this? This, mm-hmm. is a, this, uh, this was written by an, a man called named Frank Powell, and he wrote it for the Relevant Magazine website, so relevantmagazine.com. It's, from, it's, it's a few years old. It's from September 17th, 2015, but he lists six things that a hurt if you live a life of hurry that 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 could happen and it, and I think these are so true so if I'm just going to read them and if you find you can go to relevantmagazine.com and and find this and read the whole article cuz it was really good but the points are good so one is a hurried life destroys your relationship with God well that's very true obviously the more we fill our, our, our time and our mind with other things, the less time we, or space in our mind we have for God. Yeah, you can't hear them. Okay, two, a hurried life decreases your capacity to love others. Because, you know, if you're in a hurry, someone needs your time. Well, you're in a hurry. You have your own agenda. You have places to go, things to do. And maybe 
what they really need is your time. Maybe they need 15 minutes of your time to pray with them or just to listen. But um, so it, it, it does hinder us to love people. If we are just all about us and what we have to get done, we kind of, we might miss things. Okay, so three says, a hurried life increases the power of temptation. I totally get that because if you're tired and you're hurried, it's really easy to just try to make yourself feel better with something that maybe gives you short-term pleasure or, or whatever. Um, and go ahead. In this, in our current world with the connectivity we have with the internet and all that kind of things, we are connected with thousands of people all the time. But the, as our society develops, that connection um, through electronics is starting to limit our connection face to face with people. And the more, the more and more we get involved in these kind of things, the more lonely we get. People are, are running into that point of loneliness now where they're having a difficulty just sitting down and having a conversation with someone. There's a certain amount of vulnerability that comes in that. Yeah. That it's relational vulnerability. Yeah. Yes. And God himself sent us a real person who came down and said hello and sat and talked. And there, there's, a, there's a reason for that. God wants to have that intimate relationship, that vulnerable relationship with us, and he sent his son as an example of that. That's why, okay, this is a little, uh, little rabbit hole or whatever, but um, we've been kind of strict with our, our, our teenagers. They haven't had cell phones, and our 17-year-old now has a, a phone that she can text on, but I didn't. I wanted them to learn how to have conversations with people because I see so many people. They just look at their phones and they're they're too shy or too. Uh, they just can't stand looking at someone in the eyes. I mean, it's like it takes courage to do that now. And and I wanted them to learn how to speak face to face with people because even grownups now can't look at each other and have a conversation. Oftentimes, the the electronic world that we're living in is an insulator between us and other people and people put it up as a wall so they can be standing in the middle of a crowd and if they're uncomfortable with personal relationship they're if they're uncomfortable with addressing the people that are around them all they have to do is pull out their phone and get on their phone you know what i put a set of headphones in and just absolutely ignore everyone and i see that i see that so terribly in school now with the high school students i really see it um, they want to be hiding away on their phone and sometimes they do it um, in a hidden way underneath their desk or something like that they're not having a real conversation with someone at the time Mm-mm. and they can be sitting in a group full of people and instead of discussing what's going on what they're learning what they're, what's they're going through they do that and then the bell rings and they get out into a social environment where there is no restrictions of a teacher in a hallway and they still immediately doing it, put they? no. They immediately pop in their headphones and go out there and just—they're all little islands of isolation as they wander around. They're—they're they're close enough to run into each other, but they don't look each other in the eye. They don't acknowledge each other's presence. They I, don't take the time to see if someone needs something or share if they need something. You know what? This took me forever to learn, and I told this to our oldest daughter. Everyone feels awkward in relationships. 
it everybody does. Don't think that all these other grown-ups or everyone else has it all together. It takes courage for everybody to take the step to actually talk to someone else. And we're losing that. And okay, so let me go back to this list from this Frank Powell. Number four says, a hurried life numbs you to injustices. Oh. Do you think that? Very much so, because again, you don't have to deal with it because you're so busy. You can blind yourself to everything going around you because you're so busy, you can shut it down and not have to deal with the hurt and the pain and the other things that are going on in the world. You can keep yourself isolated in your own little island and then you don't have to deal with things. And unfortunately, that's one of the biggest issues we have today in society is we don't want to deal with things. We want to be spectators yeah. of other people dealing with it maybe. But we don't want to personally get involved. We don't want to personally do, deal with injustice and pain and suffering in the world. And when we do that, we're losing a big part of what makes us who we are, makes yeah. us human. And as Christians especially, we need to be very careful that we don't isolate ourselves because in doing so, we are absolutely going against the Great Commission. Yeah. Because and it's we are not yeah. sharing we are not sharing Christ because we are not sharing the burden of those. When Jesus said, come to me, you who are heavy burdened, and then he told us to go out and do the same thing, if we're not willing to acknowledge the burden someone else has, if we're not willing to take that onto ourselves the way Christ took it onto himself, well, then we're missing the point. We're to a hurried life and um, this isolation everyone's putting around them, they're both so anti-God. God tells us to live an unhurried life so we have time for Him and others. It really gets down to that loving God and others. We can't love others or love God if we fill our our time with a bunch of noise. You know? I Danish, mean, Danish theologian uh, Soren Kierkegaard said, if I were to allowed to prescribe just one remedy for all the ills of the modern world, I would prescribe silence. Hmm. Because even if, even if God is trying to speak to you, if you don't give him the time to speak, the same way you wouldn't give someone else the time to speak in a conversation, you're going to miss what he's saying. And silence is, is such a cure for that. Um, just two more in, this, in mm -hmm. this. Five says, a hurried life increases narrow-mindedness and legalism. Because we do shortcuts again. We think, okay, we want to be a good Christian. So, okay, I did this and this and this and this. Okay, I did the checklist of what I have to do on every day as a Christian. Now I can get on with stuff. You know, that's legalism. The compartmentalization of, of your religion in, into the same way as you would your work or anything else in your daily life. Um, that, that separation so that it is not part of you. It's just something you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then one more, a hurried life clouds your purpose and diminishes your passion. Yeah, that's, I think that's true. that makes sense. Boy, we should really not hurry. Well, I want to take it maybe in a slightly different yeah, angle ahead. here. Go ahead. And in the, in the midst of all these other things that were happening, of all these things that we see in our modern world, um, this is not a new thing. Mm. This has been going on since time immemorial for man. It has always been that way. Um, <coughs> since Adam left the garden, we have been working by the sweat of our brows. And all those things are happening. 
And the Bible talks several times about the things that can lead you astray. And, and I think in our current world, work is one of those things that can lead us astray. Because if you're working, why are you working? Mm. What are you working for? If you're working for a paycheck, if you're working for personal gain, if you're working for recognition, if you're working for um, attaining goals, things like that, Work is a very good thing. We were, we were commanded to work. Work is a good thing. But if we work as we are working for God, then we will find rest in the work. Mm. If we work for ourselves, we will never find the rest that God provides for us. That work has to be something done for God. You know, there are times when, when I do things, whether I'm out building a fence or or if I'm shoeing horses, or any kind of physical labor. When I push myself, sometimes too far, too hard, push myself through things, all of those things are worthless. Unless I stop and I look back, and I contemplate what I did and why I did it, and I see the results of that, and I say, ah, I think God did the same thing when he created the earth. It said, when he finished, he looked at it and he said, this is good. Mm. What I did was good. So if we look at our, at, at our work day and, we, and, and what we do for a living, and you know, as Americans, especially as men, we identify ourselves as our work. Somebody says, who are you? And they'll tell you what the job is. We identify ourselves as the work, not why we're working. And why we're working should be more important. And if we lose sight of that, then our work becomes all-encompassing and all-consuming, and we lose who we are and why we're doing it. You know, and when we lose, the things that we lose, when we identify with just doing this, this, and this, are relationships. That's what always loses out. But you reminded me of a verse that I love, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, which includes work, do all to the glory of God. So if you put if we put God in the center of even what we do as a career, he'll be glorified. And he also will check us thinking, hey, go home now, or hey, this isn't get back on track. And let me read this from John that we already mentioned this, but I'll read it. John 15, 4 and 5. This is from the message translation. Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. So that's even when we're at work. If we're joined with Jesus at work, if we're resting in him, living in him, doing everything through that, We'll produce fruit in absolutely everything that God puts in our lives. That's a lesson that I had to learn myself. I, I spent a large part of my life um, with seeking my self-worth and my work ethic. I had a boss once who said, uh, he came to me and he was not the best boss I've ever had by any stretch of the imagination, but he told me flat out, he said, you're the first one here and the last one to leave and you're salaried. You can work yourself to death, and I'll appreciate it the whole time you're here. But he said, it's not good for you. 
Oh, that's really good. And that that kind of took me aback because, like I said, he wasn't necessarily the best supervisor I ever had. But now I look back and there are times in my life when I spent all my time worried about working at something and working hard at something to the detriment of my family, to the detriment of myself, to the detriment of my faith, to the detriment of all the things that I would say these are the most important things to me, they got kind of pushed to a back burner. And that it's kind of countercultural for us to think that rest is important. It's radical. Mm-hmm. It's different. But rest isn't a failure. That's something we have to we have to grab a hold of and understand. And I'm hoping that as we go through this and we talk our way through this, we work our way through this, we start to get that understanding that rest is not failing. No. It's not because you're not good enough that you got tired and you rest is something you should seek and it's a spiritual intimacy. Um there's a lot of biblical examples of that again. Um Elijah. Yeah. Elijah did everything he could. He he even took on the prophets of Baal. He did all these things, but he still was stressed. And the stress kept weighing down on him. And in the end, Elijah woke up mm-hmm. and there was bread laid out for him. And he had an angel come a couple of times. All those things coming, that gentle breeze that he, he heard God whispering in. God didn't say, well, you know what? This guy is just spinning his wheels. I'll move on to somebody else. God came back to him and said, wait, there's something deeper here. Mm. There's something quieter here. You need, to, you need to pick up on the quietness. Don't worry about the fact that you're doing what I tell you to do, but it's still not working right now. Don't worry about that. That's mm. not your job. Our job is not to worry. That God takes care of all those things. We need to rest. You know, you said that. I think sometimes we might not seek the rest because what will other people think of me that I'm not killing myself by working so darn hard because we really do find identity in work. This I have another quote. This is from a, a website called Chronological Bible Teaching. And the man who this quote is from, his name is Stan May, And he wrote, "Um, Christ's followers ought to lead the way in slowing down. Jesus never lived in a hurry, never let the expedient dictate, and never neglected the important for the urgent. Even when urgent news reached his ears, and then he goes and talks about how Lazarus was sick, he waited on the Father's timing. If Jesus, who had the most important ministry in all of history, saw pausing and reflecting as essential, how much more should his followers adopt his example? That leads me right into where I'm going to go next, I think. Okay. And that is the example that Jesus set for us in the rest, in in his ministry. He had three years in his ministry. He knew the crucifixion was coming. He knew all those things were coming. And he had three years to touch as many people as he could in as many places as he could. And we read throughout the gospel about how often Jesus did that with crowds around him, all those things. And yet Jesus continually sought solitude. In the midst of all these things, Jesus sought rest and he sought the solitude. Just hold, make, go back to that, but something I thought about. Jesus, like Shannon said, had three years of ministry. If he wasn't so centered in his father and and doing what his father told him, his father's will. He might have said to himself at age 25, okay, I should start it now 
because that would have been five more years he could have had in ministry. But I think, you know, it was he waited on the Father, on the Father's timing. And, and someone earthly would say, hey, start now, even when he was 20. I mean, he was old. He was a man then. I mean, to start, you know, who knows? But anyway, go back to what you're saying, because that came to me. Well, if we look at and look at the Gospels, we can go through them. It's interesting. I was reading an article about Mark, and um, I like Mark. It was written by Paul or Bill Galtier on uh, a website called Soul Shepherding. He talked about Mark and how Mark is known as the the Gospel of Hurry. He says the word immediately a lot. Oh, that's and right. At once mm -hmm. he did this, and Mark can be written and read through in about an hour. It's really not a little over an hour. It doesn't take long to go through the Gospel of Mark. It's a short Gospel. However, he brings, in the midst of all that immediacy, he also brings forward several times when Jesus took the time to go away and to seek that solitude. Even at the very beginning, um, right after Jesus' baptism, the first thing he did was take 40 days in the desert to himself. Mm. He was tempted in the desert, all those things, but he went out into the desert by himself before he got full-time into his ministry. Um, it talks, uh, Mark 135, talks about how in the early morning hours, Jesus went off to a solitary place and prayed. Hmm. Now this was, this was uh, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And the concept that he was so connected with the Father that there was no separation from them would lead us to think that this was not necessary, but Jesus felt it was necessary. Mm. And he took the time to go out to these solitary places. He went to a lot of places. He went beside the lake, he walked beside the lake, he walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he went on mountaintops, he did all these things. Even the scene where the Pharisees got after him, on the Sabbath, he and his followers were walking through a field of grain. Mm. Why would they go walking through a field of grain? Oh, they because were eating. Jesus wanted to walk. Hmm. And he went out into nature and walked away from people. And they saw him out there and they, they condemned him for it. But it was that walking away. Uh, Mark uh, 3 talks about Jesus going up on a mountainside. Um, when John the Baptist died, Jesus withdrew from all the crowds and went to a place of solitude by himself. Um, Jesus told his disciples in, in Mark 6, he said, Withdraw with me to a quiet place because they haven't even had time to eat because of all the crowds going on. Jesus' compassion for those that were suffering was great, but he realized that they needed a break. They needed, they needed to, to go back and center themselves on God again and get away from people. So they were doing this and stepping away for that purpose. Um, in John 7, uh, it says his brothers went up uh, to celebrate somewhere, and they, were, they went from Galilee to Jerusalem. Jesus went on his own. Now, the distance of that is 90 miles, and he walked those 90 miles on his own. It would have taken him five days uh -huh. to walk that distance, and he did that. There were other examples in the gospel where Jesus walked and, and wasn't saying anything, and people were getting a little nervous because he wasn't saying anything. He went 22 miles at one stretch without speaking. And they were missing the point that Jesus was in communion with God as he walked. Mm. As he walked, as he moved, as he went through God's creation, he was in communion with God. He, he was comfortable with the silence. Mm. And we're not mm. so comfortable with the silence. We need to seek that. 
Um, we probably should wrap it up. It's, at, it's over 30 minutes, but I, two things came to mind. One, I can hear someone say, oh, that's great for Jesus. He was single. What about me? I got a bunch of kids, or I've got this and this and this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Hey, God can figure it out. If you want to spend time alone with him, he'll show you how to do it. It's different for everybody. Like, I'm a full-time caregiver, and I get guilty, feel guilty, and I shouldn't, but I still do this in my own head. When I leave the house and I leave Hawk here at home without me because then he's just rolling around or laying around, but I don't need to feel guilty about that. And also, I get up early in the morning and take the time. God can show you how to do it. He knows the demands on your life. And none of them are good excuses to not spend time alone with God. In fact, they are the reason why you have to spend alone time with God. And that's where you can put him in the center. You can find that Sabbath rest if you start giving him time every single day, like praying and reading the word. Do you have a tip? Well, coming back full circle to um, give us this day our daily bread. The purpose that in that that Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Give us this day our daily bread because you're supposed to come back tomorrow and say, give us, the, give us this day our daily bread. Mm. Every single day we should be coming back to God. The time when we're going to fall short is when we stop going back to God on a daily basis. Now whether that's early in the morning, late at night, in the middle of the day, it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no prescribed, this is the way you have to do it. Um, early in the morning for some people is a perfect time because it's before everything starts and you can take your time alone. You know, I would say, and it can be any time, mm -hmm. but I would say if you, if you don't spend time alone with God in the morning, you should at least have like a, say a quick prayer or read one Bible verse, something to get your mind on God and keep it on God through the rest of the day. And then when you can get home, you can take that time in the Bible and in prayer but you got to do this, or the world doesn't want you to do it. Satan doesn't want you to do it. The f your flesh doesn't want you to do it. But God wants you to do it, and your spirit wants to do it, because your spirit. Well, I agree. I agree. I think starting your day with God starts, puts your whole day into God's hands, and that's a good thing. But also, I think taking the time at the end of the day to look back and ponder where God was in your life and where he appeared in, yeah. in that day and looking at the things that God has provided. Um, That's good, too. In the morning we ask, and in the evening when we lay down to truly find rest, we have to recognize the answer that God gave us. Mm, that's good. We go both directions. And sometimes just in the middle of the day, you need to have that time and that break away from whatever's going on. If you're feeling overwhelmed, walk away. Yeah. If you're feeling like it's too much, like Jesus did, walk away. There were times when he walked away when not everybody would, was satisfied with what he'd given them at that point in time, but he needed the time to walk away. And that's not something that we should feel guilty about, and that's not a luxury. That's a need. We need those things. God's, God's perfect rest is a place where we can go and be sheltered and be vulnerable and let go of everything else and just take that deep breath and listen to him in silence. Let me share one more scripture before we pray, and then we're done for the day. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. 
Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. Hebrews 4, 9, and 11. You want to pray? Psalm 46, be still. Oh, that's a good one. Just be still and know that I am God. And pray with Father, us. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity we've had to, to uh, go into your word. I pray that this message is something that someone will hear that needs your rest, that needs your peace. You can, we can do all we can do, but it's all in your hands in the end. So whether it's in ministry, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in work, no matter what we're doing, Lord, we still need to seek your rest. And to do that, we have to put it in your hands, not in our hands. We need to turn it over to you and give it to you and say, Lord, I did the best I could. Now I'm giving it to you. We have a dear, dear friend right now, Lord, who is just struggling so much. His heart is so soft and he has tried so hard with helping people and giving them all that he has in an attempt to give them the gospel and to give them um, all the things they need, need to help themselves in their lives. And right now he's not seeing any fruit from that and that's frustrating and it hurts his heart. And Lord, I just pray that you give him your peace, you give him your rest and know that let him know that it's not something he didn't do, but in your perfect timing, you will do. Thank you, you will take care of these things. Father, just let us rest in your peace and rest in the understanding that you have this. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have a perfect anything because we serve a perfect God. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, honey.